0: Over the last five to ten years, there has been a real surge in interest to embrace the character in homes built between 1950 and 1980, especially with those aged in their 30s and 40s. It's a style that makes them reminiscent about their family home or their grandparents' home, but it's also an era that's got the character but without the hefty price tag of a period home of the 1800s to 1930s. Today, we are going to talk about the appeal of the retro and mid century homes with Dr. Retro himself, an expert architect.
1: You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent, and invest right. Your host is Sue Langada.
0: Wake up, Melbourne. Christmas is over. 2022 has got to be better than the last two years and we are moving into an exciting new year full of property. Yes, property that needs copy for when it goes for sale or for lease and property that needs answers to all those unspoken factors that make up the real estate industry. Yes, you are definitely in the right place real estate right in conjunction with real copyright has all the answers you need to understand your property journey contact us on 03 5977 8889 or check out our websites www.realcopyright.com.au or www.realestateright.com.au and you'll be able to find out how we can help you Alistair McLean is the principal of Secret Design Studio, a small boutique design consultancy focused on mid-century design, including architecture and interiors. Alistair's practice is based in Melbourne, though he helps clients across Australia with design advice that is in sympathy with their mid-century homes through his Doctor Retro consultations welcome. Alistair, how are you today?
1: Great, thanks Sue, lovely to be here.
0: Thank you for coming in. Now, why did you decide to focus your practice on mid-century and retro designs?
1: I studied architecture at Sydney University yeah. and my passion was Australian history yes. and architecture.
0: Yeah.
1: And I did very well with that yeah. and I'm always a firm believer that you do what you're passionate about. Yes. So I saw an opportunity in the marketplace mm-hmm. and about 11 years ago, I left uh, working for a number of big builders, yes, and uh, started my own practice, mm-hmm. uh, specializing in people who need help, uh, who own these beautiful homes um, from the post-war years, and would like to work with them to make them more comfortable, but in a sympathetic manner.
0: Yes, yeah, I think that's that's the the key to it all. Like, there's so many people who do a like keep the original part of the home and then do something very contemporary and out there at the back. But I think if you create that seamless transition between old and new, I think that's more of a winner than otherwise. Yes.
1: Well, one of the important things about trying to work seamlessly Mm. is that it actually works out to be better value in the long term. Mm. If you do something that's cutting edge and contemporary today, in 10 years when you're selling the home, Mm. often that extension renovation will look a little bit dated.
0: Yeah. And right. daggy.
1: And daggy. <laughs> Whereas if you work with a style yeah. and the age of the renovation can't be picked, it just works beautifully together
0: yeah,
1: and it's seamless and people aren't saying, oh, it's a 10-year-old renovation. I can yeah. tell by the tapware. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: yeah. Uh, yes. Get that all the time, especially now that there's lots of different coloured types of taps yes. out there at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> now, what do you consider the difference between mid-century and mid-century modern? Oh, there's a big difference. Okay. Okay.
1: So... I actually prefer the term post-war to mid-century.
0: Okay. To avoid
1: any confusion between mid-century and mid-century modern. Okay. Okay. So th- in Australia, there were hundreds and thousands of houses built in the 50s and 60s and 70s. Yes. Okay. And they were certainly mid-century decades. Mm-hmm. But most of those houses wouldn't be defined as mid-century modern. Okay. okay? Yeah. The modern part... Relates to the inspiration and the aesthetic of the home, uh, and it's a home that has been drawn from modernist principles
0: mm-hmm.
1: that were developed much earlier in the twentieth century yes. um, from Bauhaus in Germany. Yes, um, houses that have been derived from modernist principles. Yes, you'd define as mid-century modern. Okay. Okay. But a lot of houses, like your triple fronted brick veneers, yes, which were built in mid century decades, yes, would not be defined as mid century modern. Okay, although some of them have got some mid century modern elements in them, yes, but they're not really derived from modernist principles.
0: Yeah, okay. If I saw a cream brick home in the fifties, which had like steel windows, um, sometimes like a bit of curved architecture, like the you know in in the the window um, spaces, maybe a bit of Edge glass windows a decorative mantle of some sort. Would you consider that mid century or mid century modern?
1: I'm gonna throw a wild card and say <laughs> what you're describing sounds a little bit like when it's art deco.
0: Well I can say yeah, it's but built in see to me art deco is always nineteen fifteen to nineteen forty five. Yes, so I'm talking yep. talking fifties, yep. almost hitting sixties, okay. so we've got Okay. Art Deco elements.
1: Yes, yes. So um, I would not define that as a mid-century modern home. Okay. Okay, I'd describe it as a post-war home. Yeah. Perhaps with some Art Deco influences. Okay. So what's interesting about that period immediately after the war mm. is that um, we didn't have the same technology and media that we have today. Yes. So a lot of Australian builders who were building Art Deco-style homes before World War II yes. came back building of the world after World War Two. And they kept on going back to what they were doing before oh. the war. And that's where some of those 1950s houses have got an Art Deco influence from. Yeah, so the, yeah,
0: the terrazzo porches and yeah, all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yes, and the yes, yeah. And so
1: strictly by decade, it's not an Art Deco home. No. But it's a it's a post-war home with some Art Deco influences in it okay. because it's a leftover from before the war.
0: Yeah, fair enough. A lot more clear. Help my uh, copyrights out there. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now, what era do you consider to be retro?
1: Retro is a very vague term. It is. It's a really <laughs> loose term, and that's why I like using it because yeah. I've had clients that with houses that run from the nineteen twenties to the nineteen eighties, uh, and everything in, in, in those in in, a you know, so six decades. So, yeah. so it's a very loose term, yeah. and there's, it's it's not an architectural term. Okay. Um,
0: it's uh, just something that we uh,
1: that the people use and throw around, and generally, it's got a a, a positive feel about it, yeah. um, a feeling of nostalgia. Yes. Um, but it, it, it doesn't really write to a period of architecture.
0: Okay, cool. Just to clear that up. So if I do write that there's a retro, you know, meat safe or something in a 1930s home or something yeah. like that, that's okay. That's fine.
1: Yeah. That's fine, yes, because meat safes are retro. <laughs> <laughs> they
0: are. <laughs> okay. Now, in terms of your clientele, what age group of buyers and you know, clients are keen on buying homes from the nineteen fifties to say seventies. We'll say the end of the seventies. Okay. To renovate, okay. yeah.
1: Well, a lot of these homes are on the market pretty much at land value. Yes. So often they're people with smaller budgets. Mm. Okay. So I find they fall into two distinct camps. Yeah. Um, generally, smaller households. Yes. Because these homes don't have a lot of bedrooms. Often no. three bedrooms. Sometimes two, two bedrooms. Mm occasionally four bedrooms, but generally three bedrooms. Yes. Um, there are a lot of two-bedroom homes from this period out there, uh, and the reason is that there was a big shortage of building materials after the war, yes. and the government brought in a regulation that only two-bedroom homes could be built. Yeah. So um, there are a lot of two-bedroom homes in the inner western suburbs, um, which have got quite nice, spacious living and dining areas mm-hmm. and two bedrooms.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so they're generally smaller households, The houses are generally on bigger blocks. Yes. So with that combination, um, it's really popular. They're really popular with young families, with little kids, um, where there's only generally one open plan living area. Yes. um, And lots of opportunity for extensions, but also big garden space for kids Mm. to play in. So for small households, young couples, young families. Yes. um, And also I get the other end of the spectrum, the retirees and so forth who want to downsize. Yes. They've had their kids. The kids moved out. They don't need a full-bedroom home. Yeah. They like to garden. They like to entertain. So a smaller home yeah. uh, with a big garden is, is, is ideal for them.
0: Yeah. And also those retirees will pre buy that property knowing that they could possibly subdivide it yeah. and keep the original home that they remember yeah. as their family home yeah. Yeah. from way back yeah. when um, and then still have yeah. Yeah. land to... Yeah build something up behind. At the other
1: end, the people who aren't buying yeah. are, are families where they've got three big teenagers mm. uh, because there's too much, it's, it's, it's too, much too, too many people,
0: Yeah,
1: especially when you start to have boyfriends and girlfriends visiting, yes. uh, when you've got one family living area yeah. um, to, to accommodate yeah. a large
0: household. Yeah. So, yeah. See, I find that people in their 30s and 40s are uh, – Attracted to these kind of homes because it brings back that nostalgia yes. of mum and dad's home yeah. or yeah. grandma's home, grandma's
1: home, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, um, very important,
0: and and they want to put their own spin on that, yeah,
1: yeah. 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 Without and these homes speak to them, yeah, and their memories, yeah. Um, which is a really lovely thing to, to, to work with,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is important.
1: one of the things I come across quite frequently, which is a lovely thing, and um, every home. As kids grow up, people have done uses the use the edge of doors to measure the progress of yes. of kids' heights. Yes, right. So quite often you come across a door that's got the history of a past family yeah. living there. Yeah, nice. and it's a lovely thing to just to to keep. As yeah. A, as a, as a little bit of an echo time. of the past. Yeah. And I visited a house last week, actually, where they actually had the growth levels for two or three families that lived over there, oh, wow. lived in the house over the past 60 years.
0: Wow. So, Elisa, what elements and structural attributes do buyers love about their homes? There's a lot, isn't
1: there? There is a lot. I don't know where to start. <laughs> okay, start. Uh, okay. Um, look, a lot of these homes have got a lot of character that you don't see in contemporary builds. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very difficult to generalise, but generally they're characterised by um, a really good relationship between the inside and the outside. Okay. Lots of big windows mm-hmm. um, with linking to the garden and into transition areas like terraces and decks and so forth, yes. which provide like an outdoor living room to, the, to, these, uh, to these houses. Mm. So that was a really important element that's, that was
0: used a lot. Yes. Um, the old patio. We like yeah, the patio. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> a
1: multifunctional indoor sort of indoor-outdoor transition yeah. zone space um, and sometimes at the front of the house or the back of the house or the side of the house, mm. okay? Um, one of the big differences between homes built from this period and today is that a lot of homes today are built to impress from the street, mm. but as soon as you get behind the facade, they're fairly generic. yes. Whereas a lot of mid-century homes have got the reverse of that. Mm. They're often very understated from the street. Yeah. They don't have a lot of presence. Mm. They're often fairly low-slung. They've got a lot of established planting at the front. Yes. Sometimes a courtyard or a carport. Yeah. So they're not making a big, showy statement to the street.
0: Mm.
1: The charm of these homes comes when you come through the front door. Yeah. And what's actually inside the home. Yeah. And often these homes have had more attention, more architecture put and thinking into the inside yeah. than how it presents from the street.
0: That's why I write when it comes to my fifties and sixties, Oh wow, you know, it's a spacious surprise. It's something that yes. it's, everything is very surprising when you get inside yeah. them. Yeah. Um, from the humble exterior to yeah. The,
1: and and that's what I say to my clients. I I um I say you know are you building your home to impress the Uber eats delivery driver mm-hmm. who only gets as, front of, as far as your front door?
0: Yeah. Or, or
1: are you building it to have a lovely interior yeah. that's a good place to be
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, that, that the Uber Eats driver's never going to see?
0: Yes. Well, you know, and at the same time, the burglars think, wow, look, let's look at this awesome house. Yeah. There's got to be something good inside. Or are they going to go, no, nah, that's pretty boring. Let's move oh, on to the no, no. next. Do they,
1: do they just think about the style of the house? Or do they just take the opportunity They don't really care what it looks like? Oh, I don't
0: know. I've never been a burglar. I just... <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like it's it's more what's accessible, I guess. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you make it so it's less accessible, yeah. Then they're yeah. Less So they have an understated
1: charm from the street. They do. And a lot of people don't like to be showy.
0: Mm.
1: Um, and uh, like to have it as an understated yeah. secret. Yes. With privacy. Yeah.
0: And it's, it, it makes it their sanctuary. Yes. Yeah. 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 So yeah, all good. Okay. So where does a new owner start with a renovation to a mid-century modern home?
1: Okay. Well, I think the most important part is don't rush and do your research. Yes. Okay. Uh, I suggest to clients, I have a lot of clients who have just purchased a mid-century home. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I've got a merchant builder client who's booked me in for January, Mm. and they're not settling until the 14th. Yes. And they booked me in for the 17th of January because they just want to get started. Yes. So my advice to those people is you must live in the home Mm. for at least 12 months to understand how it works. Yes. What works for you, what works for the family, what doesn't work,
0: Mm.
1: rather than ripping into it straight away. Yeah. Okay. A lot of these homes have got ageing infrastructure. Mm. And when you buy a new home, you've often got a limited budget with the work you can do. Yes. So there's no point in putting a new kitchen in a new bathroom or painting it throughout if the roof's leaking, if you need new storm water pipes. Or the stumps. Or uh, the right. stumps have gone, things like that. Mm. So understand the home mm. so you can budget for the boring infrastructure stuff yeah. before you start spending money on the pretty stuff. Yes. And the pretty stuff is really exciting. Mm. Yeah. And people get very passionate and involved with it. They do. But there's no point in spending money on on, on something when you've got a limited budget when more serious stuff yeah. needs the needs attention.
0: Yeah, because there's nothing worse than water dripping on your brand new kitchen. stove. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Exactly, mm. exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah, the worst house I've ever seen was um, the kitchen floor was so rotted that the kitchen cabinets were actually sitting on the dirt. Okay, okay. Um, it wasn't okay. livable. Okay. But, you know. These things can happen if if you don't look after the structural side.
1: Yes, yeah. The other thing about these homes is that it was a really exciting period of architecture where there was a whole lot of um, new building uh, materials and technologies available Yeah, and there was a building shortage. So architects were often trying to do more with less,
0: Mm.
1: okay? So it means that quite often um, these houses – these experimental things have not aged well mm. over 60 years and so yeah. forth um, and do need remedial work.
0: Uh, Are you and, talking about, like, the wallpaper in the, in the shelves of the cupboards? <laughs> I'm no, <just> <laughs> I, I'm talking about
1: things like putting vinyl floors, yeah. vinyl tile floors in wet areas. Yeah. Okay, well, quite often bathrooms had vinyl tile floors mm. and sometimes the vinyl tiles had asbestos in. Um, and what as a result of that... They're not waterproof, yes, so um, but they were cheaper than ceramic tiles, yes. Um, so, as a result, of all that the timber floorboards and joists are rotted out, yeah, it's a really common thing,
0: yeah.
1: Um, sure. But the best example I can think of of architects being clever to stretch building materials is um, Robin Boyd with his window wall, mm-hmm. uh, so Robin Boyd is an Australian architect, yes, uh, of the time, and um, he uh, really. Uh, wanted to work um, designing cost-effective architect-designed homes mm. um, that were very available for people that, that weren't wealthy. Yeah. And one of his innovations he did was working with by uh, Windows, mm. who are yes. still in business today, yeah. with the development of the window wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, so prior to that, people, when they built a house, they built a wall and put a hole in it and put a window in it. So what he developed was a window frame that was actually structural and supported the roof. Okay. So as a result of that, you could have a long wall full of windows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The frame was holding up the roof.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, uh, and you didn't have boring walls and what well, you could have wonderful glad- garden aspects and things. From, and you from, from don't have,
0: windows. you know, expensive labour and bricklaying and mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. you don't have… Yeah, because the frame of the window is holding yeah. up the roof. Yeah. 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 So innovations yeah. like that were very clever and an example of… Yeah, pushing the boundaries, the boundaries
0: yeah. of, of uh, um, what can be done. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, Robin Boyd's family is all around Maribina, so there's Boyd Park in Maribina, yep. and there's a, I think there's a family home still standing in that little pocket there. So if you ever want to go check out some Boyd properties, Thank go you. out that way. <laughs> now. Okay, now we recently saw on the block that a Neil Clarahan designed home was renovated, trying to be in keeping with the architect's original vision. Which architects could fetch premium?
1: That's a really good question. A lot of architects work geographically. Yeah. So they were popular in one area, Mm. but relatively unknown in other areas. Yes. So, for instance, Mornington Peninsula, Chancellor and Patrick did a lot of homes. Mm -hmm. They were very well regarded and they... They, they were sort of inspired and derived from the Frank Lloyd Wright yes. School. So if you like Frank Lloyd Wright, have a look for Chancellor Patrick hope because mm-hmm. there is a, a connection and inspiration a link yeah. between those. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, Probably Australia-wide, the biggest name in the business would be Harry Seidler.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh,
1: he was really the father of uh, the international modern movement in Australia as far as the residential homes go mm-hmm. with his uh, Rose Sidler house in Wurrunga. Mm-hmm. That was his first home he did in in Australia for his mother and nothing else like it had been built before. Yes. Um, the family has held on to that home and it's now um, part of Sydney Living Museums. Oh, wow. It's in Wurrunga.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So if you're in Sydney, um, look up the, the Rose Sidler home. Uh, and uh, it's open, I think it's every second weekend, but check the website, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it is a wonderful example of conservation Mm -hmm. where um, the house has been reinstated down to the furniture and the appliances as it was originally built. Mm. So that's a a great example of conservation. It probably wouldn't be very practical and comfortable to live in today as far as our standards and requirements go. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it is a beautiful, beautiful home to, mm. to visit. But here's the biggest name. Yes. Um, part of the reason for the value of his properties is that the Seidler family um, uh, monitor very closely the real estate listings. Yes. So if anybody claims uh, a home to be a Seidler home that it's not a Seidler home, their family is straight onto it.
0: Oh. Right. Yeah.
1: Um. Uh, and kicks up a fuss. Oh, I'm sure they would. But also, they are very aware of people who have owned sidler homes and have engaged lesser architects and draft people to do renovations and extensions. Yeah. Uh, so if the home is has had some radical changes and it's no longer easily identifiable as the original design, yeah, and then it's advertised as a sidler design, mm. they will be kicking up a stink with the agent saying, well, it no longer qualifies to be a side of design because it's so far from the original. Yes. Okay. Mm. Uh, so um, he's probably the top level mm. uh, and because of his international reputation um, and there's a lot of cachet owning a sidler home, if yeah. it's an original conditional or, or sympathetic to the original home. Yeah. So that's probably the, the, the biggest thing out there. Yeah. But there are a lot of architects out there who um, did homes for people that weren't the wealthy.
0: Yes. Uh,
1: and did a lot of them. So, for instance, uh, Ken Woolley, uh, who's a Sydney architect, mm-hmm. he was engaged by project Home Builders, Pettit and Sebbett. Mm-hmm. Pettit and did uh, about 3,000 homes in the 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. and uh, his design, one of his designs was a split-level home. Yeah. So it was ideally suited for split-level blocks. Yes. Uh, and those homes still stand the test of time yeah, nice. um, in the Sydney school style. um. Part of the because of the success of Pettit and Severed, mm. there are a lot of other lesser builders who tried to imitate the style of split level homes. Mm. So quite often a real estate agent may attribute uh, a split-level home to being a Pettit and Sabbat. Yeah. Where in fact it's not.
0: Oh. So I would say a Pennett's inspired home. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah, that could be a better way of doing it, rather yeah. than claiming it to be Pettit and Severed. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned Robin Boyd. Yes. Robin Boyd um, was an architect involved in the Age's small home service. Mm-hmm. And how that worked is the Age newspaper used to publish a small design um, for a compact, affordable, architect-designed home mm. once a week And the newspaper. Um, if you were looking to build that home, you could then purchase the working drawings yeah. um, through the service. They had a limited number of uh, plans available, mm. so you had to sort of be in quick. Yes. As a result of that, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of homes from the small home service yes. built around Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, and other cities did similar things as well. Wow. So yeah. you don't have to be spending um, multi million dollars to get a, a home by a name architect. Yes. Um, and a lot of these houses, um, they're. Uh, the vendors often don't realise who the designer was. Mm. And that's really important. Um, I think it's in the vendor's interest to find out as much about the house.
0: Yes.
1: Um, The best example I can think of is I had some clients in Rigwood East Mm. and they fell in love with this mid-century home um, and the agent was promoting it as a Robin Boyd home.
0: Mm.
1: And there are lots of Robin Boyd homes out there.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, They purchased the home. They managed to, uh, they went to council and got the plans. Yes. And, of course, the plans say who the original architect was. Mm. The original architect was, in fact, not Robin Boyd, mm. but another architect, L Kagan, who is a much higher Fine. profile <laughs> architect. <laughs> yeah. Um, and didn't do a lot of houses out in that direction. He did a lot of houses in queue and things like yeah. that. So if mm. the vendor had known mm. that who the actual architect was and the re- agent had promoted it, with that original architect's name, yeah. then they might have attracted much bigger yeah. buyers from Q, yes. who particularly liked his style, style of architecture, of, yeah. um, rather than people who weren't particularly interested in architecture. And, uh, yeah. yeah, so they got it for, for a good price, price yeah. but the vendor could have perhaps got a
0: lot more if yeah. they would have
1: known the history of the home. Yeah, so it
0: definitely pays.
1: Definitely pays to find it's out. Right. Yeah. Uh, and the best way to do that is um, quite often people uh, leave the plans. When mm. The vendors should event owners might have, might have had the plans. Yes. Or going to council and making inquiries there. Yeah. A lot of councils have archives mm. um, and you pay a fee and they'll pull out a copy of the original plans. Yeah. And then you'll have proof of who it is. Yeah. And, you know, if I'm spending millions of dollars buying a piece of art mm. um, I and it's been claimed it's done by a particular artist, yeah. I would like some provenance and proof yeah. that the piece I'm being um, purchasing Purchase. is from that artist. And yes. it's the same with um, buying a home that is promoted to be designed by a certain architect, um, the word of mouth is not good enough. No. You really need some sort of documentation. Yeah. Um, I helped a client who is looking at a, a Robin Boyd home in Templestowe. Yeah. Uh, that was being promoted as a Robin Boyd home, and she liked Robin Boyd. She yeah. wanted to buy Robin Board home. Yeah. And the agent was saying it's Robin Boyd home. and advertised it there. Yeah. So I did a bit of digging. I said, "Well, where's the proof? Where's the documentation?" Yeah. Oh, the lady next door, her aunt said. Yeah. You know, and that's not good enough. No. Yeah. Um, really. When yeah. You, when you spend, look, when you know, you're spending big dollars. I'd
0: is yeah, it's not like I know when I write ads, for instance, I will I will dig up the deeper knowledge and find out yes. more and, and just yeah you no know, it's it's what needs to be done. Like I've, I've seen a lot of copywriters who just don't. And I just think this this house deserves so much more than what you're giving it. Yeah. Uh, why yeah. why are you saying it needs to be demolished? No, it's a beautiful <laughs> example architecture. <of my> <laughs> We're gonna have a short break and come back with more from Alistair McLean from Secret Design Studio and he will talk to us more about the actual renovation process when it comes to mid-century modern and mature hypes. You're listening to Real Estate Right and we are talking to Alistair McLean from the Secret Design Studio about the appeal of mid-century modern and Retro Homes. Now, Alan which Melbourne suburbs attract buyers wanting to maintain the integrity of a mid-century or retro home?
1: Probably the biggest and best known is Morris. Yes. Uh, probably second would be Blackburn mm-hmm. and Kew. Okay. And the reason why those areas are, are so popular is that at the time that they were developed, a lot of architects were wanting to build their own homes, mm-hmm. and they were suburbs that they
0: often chose.
1: chose? Okay, yeah. um, so
0: Blackburn Lake would have been yeah like, quite a,
1: a lot of not mid-century homes ra- uh, around, around that the area. area. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And Beau yeah. Morris is just it was like the the holiday home, you know, resort of of, of the yeah. south, but it
1: was still affordable real estate. Yeah. you know, yeah. um, architects don't earn a lot of money. No, and. Um, uh, that at the time was an affordable yeah. proposition for
0: a lot of people. Yeah, mm. definitely. Um, now, do you find that owners of mid-century modern homes like to do some sympathetic re- renovations but also put their 21st century twist on it?
1: I try to steer them um, not to be too cutting-edge and contemporary when, yeah. they're, when they're doing their renovations because mm. that style of work, you know, mm. it's it's very fleeting. Yes. It looks wonderful on your Instagram feed. Yes. But in 10 years' time... Sorry, that was me. Yeah. In 10 years' time, um, that look is going to date. Yes. And that's the way the building industry works. It's very much a fashion industry, Mm. as you can see by things like The Block. Yeah. Um, They encourage people that they need to renovate their bathrooms every 10 years or kitchens every 10 years to keep up with the latest look. Yeah. In fact, these rooms are quite functional yes um and and that's why i say if you work in sympathy with existing architecture yeah. it's never going to look dated it's just going to look right yes in the house yeah okay um if you go into a period home that's had a kitchen that's 20 years old mm. it looks really dated it looks wrong it looks stranded it looks yes. wrong in that house
0: mm. um, unless you do something that's as you said sympathetic yeah 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 so, so you see a lot of like in the old Victorian and Edwardian Homes, you'll see that whole French provincial kind of kitchen, which, you know, with their farmhouse sinks and the big um, overstudded, you know, tapware and all sorts of stuff. Um, But it's in keeping with that period feel, and it's it's timeless. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. 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 Whereas with a mid-century modern home, it's hard to sort of, like, transition from what it was to mm. what would work now. Not
1: really, because those homes are built on modernist principles.
0: Yeah, so, I, I so get that. So, providing you yeah. work
1: with a kitchen that's based on modernist but it's, principles. But it's not
0: as renowned, like, yeah. you know, yes. as yeah. in, an easy trick. Like, you'd have to have somebody like yourself show them that this is possible. Yeah. This is, you know, how yeah. we can have those modernist principles yes. yeah. in your home.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. it's not a matter of being, uh, working like the roadside of the house as far as conservation. Mm. Um, it, but it's, it's a matter of being sympathetic to what you've got yes, um, and um, not trying to introduce a new style. Mm. So you don't put your Hampton style kitchen in your mid-century home no. because you like Hampton style. If you no. like Hampton style, you buy
0: a Hampton's, Hampton's house. Style. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm with you with that one. <laughs> I see a lot of things which are, oh, my God, why would you do that? <laughs> I have a
1: special name for that. Yeah? It's called WTF style.
0: Oh, really? Yes. <gasps> Oh, Alistair, I didn't expect that from you. <laughs> <laughs> now, we've got a listener question here. Um, of course, Leanne from Beaumaris is here, is going through the planning stages of renovating her mid-century modern home and wants to know, can a unsympathetic renovation devalue her mid-century home? Yes, <gasps>
1: it can. Okay. Um, it all depends on the extent of it. Yeah. A lot of my clients are actually trying to repair the mistakes of the past.
0: Are they?
1: So when you've got a 60-year-old house, yeah. it's often had a number of renovations over its 60 yeah. years, yeah. okay? Um, sometimes these houses are on to their second or third kitchen or bathroom, mm-hmm. um, and um, uh, some dubious choices have been made along the way, yeah. okay? Um. So it can definitely devalue your home um, uh, if it's, you know, overwhelming um, or, as I said, the, in the WTF style.
0: Yes. Um, Which is really the 90s I've Got No Personality style.
1: Yeah, yeah, or or <laughs> postmodern sort of style where yeah. you're bringing things, materials and, and elements that are completely alien yes. to to the style of a home. Yeah. Um, so things like your... Your, your postmodern, your glass brick, and your curved walls, and okay. your your red granite bench tops with your oh, yeah. your apricot cabinet work and your
0: yeah. your brass handles
1: <laughs> and things like that. But we
0: like a bit of salmon and peach. No. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes.
1: And they just look they just Pities. look wrong. And but quite often, you know, sometimes those elements have been uh, haven't been introduced cheaply. No, and they're a quality build, and that's why the challenge is for people who are buying homes because aesthetically some of these elements which may work perfectly mm. um, just look wrong, but it's hard to justify ripping out something that looks so wrong purely on an aesthetic grounds mm. when you've got a tight budget. Yeah. So I've got people that you know that live with their, their kitchens and bathrooms they hate because they they still function perfectly, yeah. they don't look right, mm. and it's hard to justify spending money just from an aesthetic point of view.
0: Um, now why is it important to enlist an architect who understands your vision when it comes to renovating these homes?
1: That's a really good question, Mm -hmm. and I'd say it's actually more important to engage an architect or designer who understands the home Mm. and that you can work with. Yeah. Because sometimes your vision might not be appropriate for the home. Yeah. And one of the important things with these homes is to understand the concept of custodianship Mm. versus ownership. Okay. So – these homes have been around for 60 years or so yeah. or more, and they've had a number of households and families in that time, mm-hmm. sometimes a few, sometimes a lot. Yeah. Most people tend to stay in their homes 10, 12 years, mm-hmm. okay? Um, if you've got something that's a little bit special, right, then, and you're hoping, you know, and your home is special enough that it might be around, you know, to be a 100, mm. right, then... By you imposing your vision mm. for the ten to twelve years yeah. that you're going to be there um, may not be the best thing for the longevity of the home. of that of that structure. Yeah, uh, when it's sold and people don't like your vision, mm. and that's why getting somebody who understands and can read a house, yes, and and work with your vision to steer it and tailor it to to maybe not match your vision exactly, but Meet what you need, yes, and also not be detrimental to the house. It's yes, really so important.
0: basically meeting your functionality that the functionality that you need,
1: yeah,
0: um, but in a style that's yes. complementary. Yeah, to-
1: yeah, and we go back to the Hamptons style kitchen example again. Yeah, you know, if I had a client that said, "Oh, i bought this beautiful mid-century home by you know, it's done by Robin Boyd. Yeah. I love Hampton style. I want to put a Hampton style kitchen in."
0: Yeah, you know, I've always dreamed of having a Hampton-style style kitchen. kitchen. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'd say, well, look, that's your vision, but is it really right for the long-term future of the house? Because yeah. as soon as you put the Hampton-style kitchen in, it means that your future potential buyers who do like Robin Boyd and do like mid-century homes yeah. aren't going to consider buying your house Yeah. because of this kitchen mm-hmm. that's just wrong with
0: it. Yeah, because they'll, they'll look at the Hampton-style uh, kitchen as being very gaudy and very, yeah, yeah, it's yeah not, they're it's, not
1: understated it's, like, yeah, like the style of the house is. So yeah. so that's why sometimes um, your vision may not be the right vision or maybe yeah. with a few amendments and refinements and steering it could yeah. be. But, yeah, but, uh, that's why
0: you need somebody like you.
1: Uh, that understands the house and yeah. understands the heritage and the history of the home.
0: Yeah. Now, I'm a big one for using repurposed materials. Where can buyers source recycled materials to add to the integrity of the home. Okay.
1: You have to be really, really careful about what you use. Mm -hmm. There are so many dangers in recycled materials. Okay. Um, You've got to be very, very careful. So today we have much more stringent regulations regarding building materials Mm -hmm. as far as risk to human life and safety. Yeah. So um, a lot of materials actually aren't suited to be reused. Yeah. Okay.
0: Because they've got asbestos element. They've got asbestos
1: in them or lots of lead paint.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, One of the classic things I see is um, big glass doors.
0: Yes. So we now
1: have regulations as far as the glass that's used in glass doors and windows adjacent to glass doors Mm. has to have a certain... um, impact resistance, and be quite safe. Yeah. That if you run through it or something like that, you're not going to cut an artery. Mm. Um, it'll be like windscreen glass in a car.
0: Yeah.
1: Whereas the old doors that you buy don't have just got normal glass. Often yeah. it's quite thin. Yes. So they're actually quite dangerous to yes. use, to, to reuse a door. Um, and some of these doors have got, you know, beautiful etchings and things like that mm. on. So it's a real pity that, that you really buy the Regulations can't use
0: those, yeah, sort of those things. things. But um, if you wanted to, like, get yeah. some Taziag floorboards and you yeah. just want to extend that, you yeah. know, back,
1: you know, yeah. section or whatever, yeah. that
0: yeah. okay,
1: that. the two places I recommend, yeah, um, one of them is the Eco Group
0: in mm-hmm. Clayton, yes,
1: um, and what they do is they reuse uh bricks and pavers, yeah, so they're involved in demolition, mm-hmm. um, and they will demolish a house and source. The bricks, which they'll clean up, take all the water off. Yes. Put it on pallets. Yeah. Okay. Um, and these bricks can then be reused, whether for paving or for new brickwork. Mm-hmm. One of the beauty of using old bricks is that they're generally about 20% cheaper than new bricks. Yes. And they've got quite a lot of character to them. Yeah. So they feel aged. There's mm. a patina to them, which is quite lovely to work with. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, whereas a lot of the new bricks, especially the cheaper bricks out there, are fairly... Stock standard. ...bland as well. Mm. Um. So definitely Eco Group in Clayton. Yes. They've got a big brickyard yeah. um, and they're good also for colour matching. So if you're trying to match existing brickwork,
0: yeah.
1: um, they're a good source for, for doing that.
0: And you might even get one with a little stamp on it saying Olympic Olympics 1986 yes, on them. Yes, you might. You might. You might, if you're lucky. The <laughs> yeah.
1: um, important thing is that... Um, Bricks are very hard to match because uh, they vary a lot depending on where they were quarried, which brickwork, when they were fired, and so forth. So, they're the people I go for for bricks and papers. Um, The other place is uh, Renovators Paradise in Keysborough. Mm -hmm. And they are also linked in with Demolishers, Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's Hughes Demolition. So, they have a history of demolishing large and palatial expensive homes in the inner eastern suburbs and they try to reuse as much of the stuff there, the floorboards and windows and things like that. So you, yeah. so that's a really good resource. They've got a huge warehouse mm-hmm. um, uh, and a whole mixture of different styles, you know, Victorian, Edwardian, yeah. uh, and a bit of mid-century stuff as well.
0: Yeah, sounds good. Why is it important to recognise that the, this architecture is actually a historic period in terms of how Melbourne transformed throughout the years? Okay.
1: Well, the post-war years were the most exciting period for Australian architecture, mm-hmm. okay? A whole lot of reasons. Um, primary one is that we were having a building boom, a post-war mm. building boom, where thousands and thousands of houses were built. Yes. But at the same time we are having this post-war building boom, there was a great sense of optimism in the future. Yes. So it was a really exciting time yeah. and a positive time. Um we had a lot of new building materials becoming available and new building technologies. Yeah. Uh, we also had an influx of um, architects and craftsmen coming in from Europe yes. uh, after the war. Um, and quite a lot of uh, architects that some had trained at Bauhaus and so forth or been inspired mm. by that were bringing in a new way of thinking about houses mm. and design into Australia. Yeah. The other big change is that before the war, a lot of um, Australia. Australian design architecture was inspired by what was happening in England. Mm. After the war, our That's influence much. very much came from America. Yes. And they were doing lots of big and exciting things mm. in America, which we, we drew on. Yes. Um, so a combination of all those factors working together makes it a really exciting period, a mm. unique period. Yeah. Uh, of a, and there was experimentation. And while there was still a shortage of building materials, architects were trying to do more with less. Yes. And I spoke about the Robin Boyd window wall. War, yes. Uh Stegbar. Um, so things like that, which are very exciting, were being pushed out there and experimented on. Um, people weren't afraid to use colour. No. Okay. So some really... Psychedelic stuff out there. Well, not quite psychedelic. <laughs> really bold colours.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, which which um, people are scared of colour today. People don't mm. understand colour. No. So it's all white or off-white mm. or, or grey, yeah. you know. Um, a lot of houses have very dynamic colour schemes. Mm. Um, the other thing is that um, natural materials such as timber... And stone were plentiful. Yes. So there was lots of stained lot timber. Of
0: and stone. And, and face
1: stone work. Five um, stones coming Plus we in had, town. you know, relatively cheap labour. Mm. So there were the craftsmen available to work with those materials. Yes. Today we've got the reverse situation. Yeah. That the craftsmen who are skilled and talented enough to lay a crazy pave are few and far between. Yes. And they charge an arm and a leg. Yeah. Whereas after the war there were lots of people from Europe who could do that well. Yeah. Um, and materials today are relatively cheap. Uh, and available compared to, or pre-COVID.
0: Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: Prior to what war, the war was after the war. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for coming into the studios, Alistair. It's been a real pleasure having you on. Now, how can Real Estate Right listeners get in contact with you?
1: Probably the best thing is to visit my website.
0: Yep.
1: Which www.secretdesignstudio.com. Yes. I've got an inquiry form on that, so I can just fill that out with the request details. Yes. Uh, I'm currently picked up. Um, I generally book up about two weeks in advance but yes. at the moment I've got demand so sometimes a little more mm-hmm. uh, if they'd like to book in a personal doctor retro house call yes. which is a two hour consultation in your home yes. please contact me Outside Melbourne, I'm doing my Doctor Retro Virtual Visits, which is a one-hour Zoom consultation. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I can cover the whole Australia with that, providing you've got a good internet connection.
0: Yep, sounds good. Thanks again, Alistair. We'll have your details in our show notes and on our social media. Now, next week we have Luke Piccolo from Woodards in South Yarra to talk to us about family matters, the important steps when dealing with a deceased estate. A great episode for those who are needing to sell the family home, so don't miss it. Real Estate Right is produced by Real Copyright, one of Melbourne's leading real estate copywriting companies, and is written, hosted, and produced by me, Sue Langada, with the support of my production and social media assistant, Lisa Fisher. All information given on this podcast is a guide only, and delivered to help you understand the intricacies that can happen in real estate. We recommend that you get professional advice that is designed for your own personal circumstances. We would like to thank Podbean for hosting this podcast, Premium Beat for their music, Francis Morello for his voiceover. If you have a real estate story that is inspiring or a great how-to tip, please contact Lisa on... 5 9, 7 7 8 8 8 9 to find out how you can be a guest on Real Estate Right in 2022. If you would like to know more about our copywriting services, please email Lisa at orders at RealCopyright.com.au. Thank you for listening to Real Estate Right. It's where buyers, sellers, renters, and investors get their real estate right.